We Saved You a Seat is sponsored by the Oklahoma Family Network. Oklahoma Family Network focuses on supporting families of children and youth with special health care needs and disabilities, as well as families who have children with a mental health or behavioral health diagnosis. Oklahoma Family Network provides families with emotional support, resource navigation, parent-to-parent engagement opportunities, and wants to ensure quality health care for all children and families by building strong and effective family professional partnerships. On today's podcast of We Saved You a Seat, I have the incredible privilege of conversing with Carter's mom, Katie. Carter was diagnosed after birth with trisomy 18, and Katie's passion to help others understand that they are not alone and to help bring awareness and conversation to the difficult topic of trisomy 18 is why she shares her story today. In part one of Carter's journey, you'll hear Katie share about how they were told about Carter's diagnosis, a little about their NICU experience, and their first night's home after discharge. Thank you for listening in as Katie opens up and shares about her sweet baby boy, Carter. We went and we had a 3D ultrasound, which was really, really cool. It's my first time experiencing one of those and it was, it's super awesome. It's an amazing experience, but, um, we were supposed to, you know, like we had the card with the the answers in it. Right. And we were supposed to wait until the gender reveal. And, um, it was, it was my birthday that day that we had that done. And we sat down at the end of the night and Dylan and I talked and we were like, should we open it? We shouldn't open it. And I was like, but it's my birthday. We could open it nobody will know and so you know we we opened it up and found out that he was that it was a boy and I think I I immediately had so much fear because my dad and my uncle have ocular albinism women are carriers and males get it and so I was so worried about that I spent my whole pregnancy so worried that my poor baby was gonna have problems with his eyes was one of the worst things I could have imagined. But other than that, you know, it really was. It was an amazing pregnancy. I, I really didn't deal with too much sickness. I didn't deal with the kind of pain and things like that that I did the second time around. Because um, I just, you know, I didn't get as big and all of those things. And it was just, and it was great and it was happy. And we were going to have this baby. And, you know, I had the fear about, about his eyes. But then, you know, we go and we have him. And, and he, I think... In labor and delivery, right, as as he came out, they had to work on him. He, he wasn't breathing, and they had to work on him for probably 30 minutes before they were able to, you know, give him back to me. And then they give him back to me, and they move us to postpartum together, and, and everything's fine. Everything's fine, and we were just working on feeding and having a little bit of trouble, but I had no idea that there would be any other kind of an issue, you know, and it's normal for babies to have trouble feeding sometimes at first. Um, and so we spent 24 hours in postpartum. I spent 24 hours in postpartum just holding my baby, trying to help him be able to feed better. And until the pediatrician came in and was just doing a regular checkup. And I mean, that pediatrician looked at him maybe five minutes and then looked at us and said, I'm not sure, but I think that your baby has trisomy 18. And we were like, uh, yeah, we can handle anything. We didn't know what it was. We didn't know what that meant. We were like, it's cool. We got this. We can get through this. Whatever it is, it'll be great. Our kid's still going to have a wonderful life. And, and he, he did, you know, that's not to say that he didn't or anything like that, but just in that moment, you know, we, we didn't know. And so we were 
and we didn't Google. We didn't know for quite a few days. And we were just like, all right, we got this. And then it just started to get so much scarier. Like from that point forward, you know, they decided to take him and take him to the NICU, said he wasn't eating well enough. Everything else about him seems to have been fine. And so they take him to the NICU and immediately put him, put the NG tube in. We didn't try anything else. That's just what we did. We put the NG tube. And then it just, it, it was trickled down so far from there. And I think it was probably four days in, three or four days in. That was probably one of the worst nights Dylan and I have ever had. We, we were driving. We were in the car driving, having a great day. And we decided to Google it and see, you know, what it was all about. And it was super duper not awesome. And we didn't know. And I think everyone around us knew and just kind of didn't want to. I think they just didn't want to be the ones to tell us what was really happening. We Because we would be talking about how we were going to get him out of there and like talking about when he grows up and all of those things. But kind of just sit around and yeah. <laughs> and um, I think it was kind of a life lesson for me I think, a little bit. Like that whole aspect of how I spent so many months terrified about his eyes. Terrified about his eyes to find out months later that he had trisomy 18 and this is something that I don't really like to say the words but that doctors say is incompatible with life and I just never would have thought in those moments worried about my baby having to wear glasses and maybe getting made fun of it and things like that that instead I would be looking at my life now without him at all and so it was a pretty big you know life for me and I, I think about that a lot that takes up a lot of space in my brain just like it's relative to everything that happens in your life and especially with babies that end up being in the NICU and things like that. Like you, you waste so much time worrying about things when you don't, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow and you waste so much time worrying about things like that and giving energy. You know, now <laughs> I got, I got lucky. So having the doctor that I had made everything made me like so much more calm. This a specific nurse that I had built a really good relationship and things like that. I have no idea how in those moments going from like worrying about eyes to going from worrying about, you know, the life of my child in those moments without the amazing medical team, I have no idea how I am. And, and so it happens all the time, you know, and moms, they, they just have to go through it. I'm lucky and I'm so blessed to have had what I did have to get me through it. And, you know, without it, it would have been so much harder. So walk us through a little bit of that transition, the NICU piece. It was, it was 24 hour whirlwind. So being in, in postpartum and, and we were fine. I was just trying to help them feed and they were started coming in, I think like every 30 minutes to check in. And so they called in the neonatologist and, and, I thought it was very strange. Didn't really know quite what was going on. And that was probably maybe two hours after the pediatrician had said, we think your baby has trisomy 18. And we didn't know what that was. And she comes in and she's so serious. And she sits down on the end of my bed. And she's talking to me and she tells me they're going to have to take him to the NICU because it's just not eating right. And she tries to, you know, explain to me what that means and how they can help him and all of those things. And, oh, it was, for, it tore me apart. It tore me apart. I was like, you want to take him out of my arms? No, please. And 
I think the biggest thing is, is I, my brain did not grasp, like, I, I was not allowing myself to believe that I couldn't help him enough, right? And so I was like, and his mom, like, I can do this. Come on, let, let me try again. I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. And there's probably a piece of me that still thinks, like, if they would have just given me a little bit more time. And and I could be wrong. I'm not a neonatologist. I don't know. But I do think that and feel that they had just given me a little bit more time. And so then, you know, I, I'm like, I'm not okay with this. I'm not okay with this. I'm not okay with this. And and we had made an agreement that she was going to come back and check on us a couple hours later. And and I, I, I don't know why I just sat back and let it happen. There was just so much going on and, and so much I just didn't understand. And it was my first baby and I was 19 and, you know, but, um, they came and they took him. And then I was like, when can I go? When can I go? When can I go see him? And I mean, it was, it was so long. I think it wasn't probably until nighttime. They took him like early afternoon. It wasn't until nighttime until I was able to go see him. And so I had to just like sit in a hospital room and steal about just as much as I would have loved to go with him like stick me in a wheelchair and wheel me down the hall with him I'm cool with that um and I think that that is how that should be that is how that should be done because it's really freaking traumatic to find out within just a few hours something's wrong with your baby your baby's not eating right okay we're gonna take him away now and you're gonna just sit here for a few hours without the child you birthed 12 hours ago and so I, it just wasn't, it shouldn't be done. They should let you go with them. And, you know, they gave me all the reasons like, oh, we have to do this and you don't need to see that and, and this and, and we need the space in the room and all the things. But it's just excuses, really. I mean, because it's, that's freaking traumatic and you should just put the mom in a wheelchair and take her. And, and then they came in before I went to go see him and they said, listen, we don't know. So these were my nurses, not his nurses. Came in and they said, we don't know for sure, but I just want to prepare you. He may have an IV in his head because they have to do that with babies sometimes. And I was like, I don't care. Just see what he And he didn't, you know. And so, but then I spent so much time worrying about if that was going to have to happen. And it did have to happen. And it was a little bit freaky, you know. But so then we get there. And we have to do the whole thing, the gown and the gloves and, and all of it. And they tell us, we only get two hours. Two hours. We get two hours. And so we stay for two hours and, and they don't really let us take him out and hold him the whole time. And it sounds really weird to say, like, someone didn't let me hold my child. Like, that sounds really, really strange to be saying, but that's, that's the way it was. And, you know, they have rules in the NICU for a reason. And I get that, and I respect that, and that's why I never really pushed back on it. But, you know, they knew what we were dealing with, and, and they they knew what it was. They knew what trisomy 18 was. They, they knew what we were dealing with. So... <laughs> Maybe it's a little entitled to say, but I don't think the rules should have applied to us. They just probably shouldn't have. And we had one nurse actually that 
will let us come in one night uh, for bath time. And so that was really amazing. And we, we also, also understandable, but couldn't have more than two people at a time. And so that was really difficult, like with our family wanting to see him and everybody wanted to see him so much. Family didn't ever get to see him outside of his little isolator box until he came home. If, you know, they were able and, and things like that, but, uh, because we had to consistently trade out and then, you know, family members are upset. Why did they get to stay in there longer than I did? And Dylan and I are having to split up to deal with this because you can only have two people. So one of us takes one of our family members and then the other one takes one of their family members. And that was so much unnecessary, unneeded stress. That was my biggest stressor the entire time. And the Nikki was our family just wanting to see him and but us also wanting to be together with our baby and so um so they did the fish test the genetic testing and I think it took three days I think it took like three days to come back and on that last day before like we knew we were going to be getting the results um I told everyone I was like don't don't come to the hospital just leave us alone like we just want to have this day this day before we know what happens because it could be anything tomorrow we could find out anything we could find out that he has trisomy 18 we could find out that he has something totally different we could find out that he has nothing and have absolutely no answers anything could happen so we just want today there's so much so many rules and things like that and when you're in the NICU and, and it just makes it harder whenever we were about to take him home we just want a heart monitor and they were like you can't do that. And I didn't really look into it. Didn't look into it at all until we went to the pediatrician the day after we got home. And she was like, hey, let me make a phone call real quick. Like, you can get one on insurance. But it had taken so long. So everybody at the hospital was like, no, 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 no. And if they would have just, you know, looked into it like the pediatrician did, it was amazing of her. But uh, we would have went home with one. We didn't go home with one. And... I had to give my child CPR more times than I really felt necessary. And if we had had a heart monitor, it would have been awesome. Like less ambulance rides to the hospital within a short two-week period. Um, and maybe less traumatizing experiences because it took so long. Once we finally got the heart monitor, was the last day. It went off one time. One time only. It went off one time its first and last time. So there's just, there's so many things that we experience with it. Just not uh, extra stress uh, added to an already incredibly stressful situation. We luckily had a nurse, an amazing nurse, but she came in one day and she said, enough, <laughs> hold your baby. And if anybody tells you, you can't find me because I'll tell them they're wrong. And uh, we went home two days later. So. Also, you know, because she, she was just really, she was like, this is, you, you've been put through enough. Like, you just need to love your baby. And if it's going to be so difficult for you to do it here, like, go home. You can deal with all of this with your pediatrician. And I think in some ways, and I, a lot of people asked about that. Some, some ways, some people are like, what was their motivation in that? And, and all the different kinds of things. And anybody can look at it however they want. They can think, you know, that that was wrong and maybe he should have stayed in the hospital and sometimes I think that or you know they can think like I think it just it was a miracle to be at home with the baby and maybe we could have had more time if he hadn't left the hospital but 
what would that time have looked like because I was consistently stressed out and I was living in a hospital and I was pumping in a hotel room inside of the hospital. And, you know, so I, I it was probably one of the most amazing things that could have happened to us. And I do think sometimes, like, maybe he would have lasted longer, but <laughs> I don't know that I would have lasted any longer. And so getting to take him home for two weeks was the biggest for sure. And, and I think another thing, um, the doctor that just pops in on the weekend and doesn't really know your situation and maybe like glances at a few pieces of paper before they come in to talk to you. We had one and, and he came in, he, he glanced at a piece of paper, heard trisomy 18 and came in and said, we're going to take him off of everything because it doesn't matter anymore. And he actually even, I mean, he didn't say it quite like that, but he did actually say the words, it doesn't matter. Like we're going to take him off of his medicine. And I'm like, why are we going to do that? And he said, well, because it doesn't really matter. It does kind of still, I mean, it's still a human life, but, um, and it was just horrible. It was so horrible. It was the worst experience ever. Take us back to the day that you did finally get the diagnosis and the confirmation that it was uh, the genetic trisomy 18. And it sounds like the doctors, like you said, wanted to remove different, I don't know, different medicines, different things. And I'm assuming that's why they didn't want to send home the medical equipment, because in their words, it doesn't really matter. What is about to happen to you is going to happen. Um, and so they didn't really offer that comfort, that support, that, um, which you truly needed as a first time mom and as a mom who received that diagnosis. So when we got the diagnosis, we originally thought that we were going to be having a conversation with two doctors when we got, when the results came back, we thought that's who we were going to be meeting with. So we were just like waiting on them. And, um, it ended up being, I know that we're not supposed to use names. I have to for this one because it's just one of the most amazing humans ever so we ended up actually getting to talk about him he was the one that talked. he sat down and he very real and i mean there were points where where he was pretty straightforward and i think it was like straightforward but in the absolute most caring way possible but (laughs) so he would use some words that i'm like he would use the word like die or you know something like that and i'm like "Mm, i don't like this but Throughout the whole conversation, I mean, he, he really just like, he sat down in that room and just like leveled with me and Dylan and explained everything, listened to us, answered our questions. What is this? What does this look like? Uh, where do we go from here? Instead of the kind of conversation that we thought we were going to have, where we thought we were going to sit down in a room with the same doctors that made us sign a DNR and them essentially just say, yep, he's got it. And then get up in the room. That's what we thought. And. Um, I don't know where or why or how that process changed. I don't know how it ended up being that Dr. Hannah decided to call us into the room with Carter and sit down and talk to us. I don't know. Um, but I, that's another thing that I am just so incredibly grateful because I was able to have, you know, all I had done was Googled and, (laughs) um, so I was able to have a real actual, like, medical professional explained to me what was happening to my child in a way that was still scary but less doom feeling right and um 
and to be able to have a conversation with my child's medical provider and be able to leave that room feeling comfortable that that doctor is truly going to do everything that they can for my child and that they do see my child as a human and not a statistic because we ran into so much of that before and after Dr. Hammond ran into so much of that. And so it was just, it was so amazing to have had that and that that didn't We went to the ER one time and like after he was home, we had to go to the ER to stop breathing. And uh, I literally had a doctor come in and, and ask what was happening. And then, and then he was like, I'm going to have to go look that up. So he's in it, you know, it's super rare, right? But the ER doctor was like, I'm going to have to go look that up. And then came back like they knew how to properly treat my child and told us to just go home. <laughs> so, you know, that's when we got the diagnosis, the way that it was delivered to us, we were able to start out on the foot of they are still going to see him as a and they are going to treat him as such and his life does matter. That changed down the way but at least we didn't have to start out but at least we didn't have to start out on the foot of your kid's a statistic here's a piece of paper please sign a dnr because he's probably gonna die right like we didn't have to start out on that foot getting the diagnosis we got to start out with the feeling that somebody still saw him as a human and was going to continue to treat him that way and uh dr hannah actually tried to fight to keep us in the NICU. <laughs> which is kind of an interesting thing. And I love that. I love that he wanted us to stay. I love that the nurse wanted us to go home because they were all just trying to help in whatever way they truly felt was the best. And ultimately it was just whatever we decided to do. But um, Dr. Hannah was, he, he, he was really actually trying to take care of this little human life. And that was so rare in, in our whole entire process. Because most didn't. Most were like, trisomy 18, okay, your baby's going to die. That's cool. Uh, Moving on to the next one that's not. Essentially, it's the way that everything was delivered after <laughs> Dr. Hannah. So I had a doctor fighting for my child to be able to survive. And I had a nurse fighting for my mental peace. And, and, and so, you know, it was the difference of one of them just kind of really leaned more towards me and one of them just kind of leaned more towards Carter. And I'm okay with that. That's, that those are still two of the most amazing humans sent to me in that process. That is, that was amazing. And so I, I think essentially that's what that is. I, I had one nurse just like fighting for me to be okay. And then I had one doctor fighting to keep this baby alive. Also for me. I, I love how you explained that and uh, because it wasn't so much that she was telling you just to take him home and enjoy the moments that you have, but it was, she was truly fighting for your mental health. I, that, that nurse actually, um, after Carter passed away, uh, probably like four days, it was before the funeral, I think even, uh, literally came and, and, and pulled me out of my house and took me out for pizza and coffee. So... <laughs> So yeah, so that that's what that was. She was really just fighting for for me to be okay and amazing. She was an amazing is an amazing human. Um so yeah, so we were in the NICU for we went home on day 15. And we literally found out the the night, well, evening before that we were going to be going home the next day. And we expected the discharge process to be stupid because we had watched a family right next to us 
sleeping all day long in that NICU room to get to go home all day long. And I was like, God, it's going to be like that. But it wasn't. <laughs> so there was a lot of crazy things happening in our life behind the scenes as we were being discharged. Um, <laughs> my husband is Superman for this, truly. So we find out that we're going to be getting discharged and immediately make a phone call to a previous landlord of ours asking if she had anything that we could move into because we lived in a duplex where all of the rooms were upstairs. And I was like, hmm, feeding pump, sick baby, postpartum, all these things don't mix well with stairs. So, <laughs> um, and I told the people at the, du I also talked to them, the people at the duplex that we were staying at. And I was like, hey, we can't do this. They were super awesome. They even gave me back my deposit. It was amazing. So within 24 hours, while I'm in the hospital with Carter, like preparing for being discharged, Dylan packs our entire home in Norman, our entire duplex by himself, goes, gets a moving truck, packs the whole thing by himself. <laughs> we had three dogs also. <laughs> so he packs the entire thing and then goes to this home in Midwest City that we had not seen and unloads it. <laughs> and we move in. So, so he's, uh, as we're getting discharged, he's still unloading our moving truck. Like as we are getting in my car to leave, he's still unloading the moving truck. It was just Superman. He was Superman. So <laughs> um, we had to do the uh, the car seat test, which was, I was so terrified of that. I was so terrified. I was like, he's tiny. He doesn't breathe right already anyways. Like, he's, we cannot put this baby in a car seat. This isn't going to work. Watch. It's not going to work. But it did. And, and he passed. And so that was wonderful. And, um, you know, that whole night leading up, Dylan took a break and came up to the hospital, I think for, from like one in the morning to like three o'clock in the morning. We were talking to one of our favorite nurses uh, about like the NG tube and all of those things going home with it. And she was like, well, uh, palliative care should help you with that, but we'll go ahead and practice if not. And <laughs> they have this dummy doll and, and it's actually for being able to show kids who are having surgeries and things like that that it's it's to use um for kids uh to explain different things and so they can see different stuff but this doll she has a like whole cannot right so you can do the ng tube on the doll it's fantastic and then you can like feel you can like put your hands inside of this little puppet to see like where it's at and things like that. So we spent like two and a half hours practicing on this little dummy doll. Um, and then we each tried it on Carter once before we left the very next day. Yeah. So, and it was terrifying doing that, putting in his NG tube. Dylan tried it that one time and then never tried it. And 
um, I, it made me so freaking nervous because I knew like with an NG soup, you mess up, uh, and, and that could be the last time you could grease. So it was terrifying. And, but that's, that's how we, that's how we learned to prepare for that. And that's how our discharge process <laughs> went. We also left so fast. I mean, like so fast. As soon as he passed the car seat test, we were out of there. And it was, yeah. And so then we go, we got home and they had notified, um, we knew that we were going to be going home with palliative care whenever we did go home. We didn't know we were going to be going home so abruptly. Um, because, you know, that it was, that nurse came in and was like, you're taking your baby home. And so that, that happened. We didn't know that that was going to be happening, but we did know that we were going to be going home. So everybody had been preparing for that. And, so they had gotten the palliative care stuff situated. I think probably as soon as we got the diagnosis, they started getting all of that moving, the supply company and palliative care and all of that. For oh, at least a week, if not more, this supply company had no. And we get home. They're supposed to meet us there when we get there. And that's not what happened. We waited for... Actually, the supply company, I think, didn't even show up until the very next day. Luckily, the nurses loaded us up with stuff in case that happened. So, so we had some things and, and it was okay. We were all right. Um, we had to use a, like a big syringe that you twist to the end of the end and push it slowly, very, very slowly to feed him. So we had to do that for the first night, but it wasn't the worst thing in the world. That was also that first night, the, uh, palliative. I, you know, I don't really think I like calling it that anymore because it just seems really fake. So we'll say hospice. The hospice lady uh, came and talked to us and she didn't really uh, tell us much about like what they do or or, or anything like that. It, it was more like she, I think she was trying to be emotional support for us. I think that's what she was trying to do. She was like trying to relate with us. Well, we're here. I don't know. I guess maybe that's the way it works in hospice. But, uh, anyways, I, yeah, so, so that's how that went. And, and she just kind of talked a lot and really randomly. And, and then that was, that was that. I think we may have looked over some papers or maybe she handed us a folder. She handed us a folder. It was like, this when you're ready, here's some information. And I think that was about it. So <laughs> then the supply company comes the next day and, uh, it was one box with so many, so many bags for a feeding pump and three in Jesus, three, that's just three. And, and we went through those three in less than 24 hours because nobody told us that you are supposed to reuse them. Nobody told us. and. You know, babies with things stuck to their face and down inside of their nasal cavity. Like, they're going to pull it out. And he did. All the time. That was his favorite thing to do was to pull out his NG2. And we would just put in another one. And we only had three. And then whenever we told them and we were like, hey, he's pulling these out. We only got three. Um, Can we do something about this? Like, because we only have one left. 
And they were like, oh, well, we don't really have enough supplies to give you anymore. We don't have any more, is what they told us. And they were like, so you're going to have to just take him up to the hospital and see if they have any. So that's what we did at 11 o'clock at night once we finally ran out of the last one. Still, nobody told me that we were supposed to be reusing them, which I'm glad they didn't. I don't think I would have felt comfortable doing that. But So then we're taking this very sick baby in a car seat all the way to the hospital and through the ER just to get NG tubes. And so, yeah, that's, it was really just super nutty. And they also, um, that day with the supply company, some uh, lady from, it was, it was from the hospice people showed up didn't know she was coming, knocked on the door and was like, we're dropping this off for Carter, right? And I was like, okay, sounds about right. And she hands it to me and I get inside and I'm looking at this and it is a bunch of little bitty syringes of morphine. She's like, I'm going to go ahead and put it in your fridge. Like, I'm going to know how to properly administer that. Katie has so much more to share with us, and I know you'll want to hear more of our conversation together as we continue our discussion about Carter, his life, and his legacy, all the things that she has learned as a parent of a child with trisomy 18. Thank you for listening to this episode of We Saved You a Seat. Oklahoma Family Network promotes family-centered care and provides tools so families can make informed decisions, advocate for improved services, build connections among families, and serve as a trusted resource in health care of children and young adults. If you would like to become a supporting family or get in touch with another family, please contact Oklahoma Family Network at oklahomafamilynetwork.org or by calling 405-271-5072.